0: morning please turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis 45 Genesis chapter 45 we're going to be covering all the way from Genesis 45 1 to 4712 this morning in our message last week the brothers finally bring Benjamin with them to Egypt but they're very concerned about the silver they found in their sacks of grain will they be charged with stealing it Will they be charged as spies? Rather than being arrested, however, the Egyptian ruler Joseph hosted a big feast for them. He then sent them back home with all the grain their donkeys could carry, along with their brothers, Simeon and Benjamin. It was mission accomplished. It was like their dream had come true. But the dream turned into a nightmare when the Egyptians caught up with them and charged them with stealing Joseph's divination cup. And although the brothers insisted their innocence, a search found that Benjamin had it. The brothers were brought back to Egypt, and Joseph told them they were free to leave, except Benjamin. Joseph had earlier given Benjamin special treatment, and it seems that Joseph probably wanted to see if the brothers would be jealous of Benjamin, like they had been jealous of him, and whether they would give Benjamin up to slavery, like they had given Joseph up to slavery. The answer was no. Judah begged Joseph not to allow further grief to come on his aging father, saying that if Benjamin didn't return, his father would surely die. Judah pleaded, please keep me as your slave and let the others go home. Judah had changed from someone who had sold his brother into slavery to one who was now willing to become a slave in place of his brother. And that brings us up to today. Let's read chapter 45, verses 1 to 4. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, impact our lives this morning with this powerful story of restoration and forgiveness. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. And we are so familiar with this story that we may sometimes miss things. What I mean is that we know how the story ends, but the brothers didn't know how it would end. Put yourselves in their shoes. They had treated Joseph with contempt probably much of his earlier life. Then they threw him into a pit and conspired to kill him before finally selling him into slavery where he had been for the last 20 years or so. Now they are face to face with that very brother they once conspired to murder. And he now has the power of life and death over them. It's no wonder they were terrified. In verse four, when Joseph says, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Joseph is not bringing up the past to be vindictive. He says this to prove he is Joseph. He's telling them something that no one else would know except his brothers and him. Joseph continues in verses five to nine. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. When words or phrases are repeated in a Bible passage, it's often for emphasis because they're important. In verse 5, Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you. In verse 7, Joseph again says, God sent me ahead of you. In verse 8, Joseph says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. In verse 9, Joseph says, God made me lord of all Egypt. Moses, who wrote Genesis, is emphasizing by this repetition that Joseph was able to look beyond his deplorable circumstances for the last 20-some years and see God's hand at work in all of it. This is an important point that we'll come back to later. In verses 10 to 15, Joseph hugs and kisses his brothers, and they all cry together. Joseph informs them that there will be five more years of famine. So he says they should go back, bring their father and all their families down to Egypt, where Joseph will take care of them. Joseph seems to assume he has the authority to do this, But it does raise the question, what will Pharaoh think of this? We find out in verses 16 to 20. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives. Get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Now, I'm not sure whether Pharaoh first heard that Joseph's family was moving to Egypt because his servants told him or because Joseph told him. Either way, Pharaoh is pleased with the idea and extended a personal invitation. It was the least he could do after Joseph had saved Egypt from starvation. So in verses 21 to 24, Joseph and Pharaoh sent the brothers home with provisions for their journey. Money, 20 donkeys loaded with grain and bread, the best things of Egypt, and even new clothing. Joseph's brothers had stripped him of his clothing or robe before selling him into slavery but Joseph now actually provides new clothing for his brothers. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul would later write that we should overcome evil with good. And Peter would later write that we should return evil with blessing. And that's what Joseph was doing. When the brothers got home and told Jacob that Joseph was alive and well, he didn't believe them at first. You have to admit, it would be pretty hard to believe that his son, the one he thought was dead for all those years, was now the second highest ruler in all egypt but when he saw all the egyptian carts and goods that pharaoh had sent joseph was or jacob was convinced chapter 46 verses 1 to 4 say so israel set out with all that was his and when, when he reached beersheba he offered sacrifices to the god of his father isaac and god spoke to israel in a vision at night and said Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. As Joseph's own hand, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. God had once told Jacob's father, Isaac, not to go down to Egypt. But now in verse 3, he tells Jacob, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. When you interpret the Bible, you have to be careful to distinguish between commands given for specific people in specific times and cultural settings and commands that have application to all people in all times. It's not always easy to do, but God's command to Isaac not to go to Egypt was a command specifically to Isaac. It had not yet been God's timing for Isaac to bring his family to Egypt, but it was in God's timing for Jacob to bring the family to Egypt. Verses 3 and 4 say that God will make Jacob or Israel a great nation in Egypt, but will bring his descendants back again. God had promised Abraham that he would make Abraham's descendants into a great nation and give them the land of Canaan. God is now reaffirming that covenant to Jacob again for at least a third time. So Jacob, or Israel, and his extended family all go down to Egypt. Verses 8 through 27 list all those children of Israel headed to Egypt, 70 in all. But you can read the names on your own. In verse 28, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to, send to, to Joseph to get directions to go to, to Goshen. Goshen was in the northeastern part of the Nile Delta. I think it's significant that Jacob sends Judah and not Reuben, the firstborn. In Jacob's eyes, Judah had proven himself to be the leader of this clan. He not only successfully rescued Simeon and brought Benjamin back, he also brought food and news of Joseph's success. Once the family gets to Egypt, Joseph needs to inform Pharaoh that they had arrived. In verses 31 to 34, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have arrived, have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, What is your occupation? you should answer, Your, shepherd have, your servants have attended livestock for from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So Joseph says he will go ahead of the brothers and introduce them to Pharaoh, saying they are shepherds. They tend livestock, both flocks and herds. Then Joseph will send Jacob and five selected brothers to meet Pharaoh himself. When Pharaoh asks their occupation, they are to be honest and say they tend livestock, which includes sheep. Joseph says that Pharaoh will then let them live in Goshen because Egyptians detest shepherds. The idea seems to be that because Egyptians detest shepherds, Pharaoh will want to settle them someplace away from the Egyptian population centers to avoid conflict. Goshen is apparently the perfect place for everyone concerned. So in chapter 47, verses 1 to 6, Joseph told Pharaoh that his father and brothers had arrived with their herds and flocks of sheep. When Pharaoh asked their occupation, the brothers told him they were shepherds and asked to live in Goshen. And Pharaoh agreed. <laughs> in verses seven to nine, Joseph then brings his father in, and his father, Jacob, blesses Pharaoh, which is remarkable because it's always those of higher rank who bless the lower rank. And yet, Jacob, Blessed the man who rules over all of Egypt. Egyptians tended to be a little obsessed with death, so Pharaoh asked Jacob how old he is. Jacob says he's 130 and adds, my years have been few and difficult. Jacob's years have been difficult, some of his own making. It was his own deception that required him to flee for his life from his brother Esau. He was then oppressed for 14 years by his uncle Laban. On his return to Canaan, he was put in possible danger when his sons killed the men of Shechem. Then his favorite wife died. and She had been the love of his life. His favorite son, Joseph, was then believed to have been killed by wild animals. Finally, he and his entire family were all in danger of starving to death due to famine. And for 20 years, Jacob had continued to grieve the loss of Joseph. Jacob had indeed lived a hard life. God does not promise health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. Verses 11 and 12, Joseph then settled his family in Goshen, in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. In other words, even though this was the best of the land of Egypt, Apparently, only had enough grass to support the sheep and other livestock. It was not adequate to support such a big family in the famine. They still had to rely on Joseph's grain reserves. But hey, at least they were all together, they were all safe, and they had plenty to eat. But the famine continued to be severe. And in fact, the situation in Egypt went from bad to worse. This grain supply was not a government handout. And Egyptians were running out of money to pay for the grain. So will Joseph just give them free grain? Will he let them starve? Will his loyalty be with Pharaoh or with the people? We'll talk about that next week. Before I talk about practical lessons, however, let's back up and look at the big picture of the story. The last 10 chapters seemed to like the story was talking about Joseph, but in reality it was still about Jacob and his children the children of Israel, and the covenant that God had made with them. Genesis 12 through 26 are about Abraham and Isaac. Chapters 27 to 50 are about Jacob or Israel and the children of Israel. Joseph certainly plays a prominent part in this story, at least 10 chapters worth. But as Genesis comes to a close, we come back to Jacob and the covenant again. We saw the covenant in chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, when God appeared to Jacob once again and told him that God would make them a great nation in Egypt and bring them back to the land that he had promised to give them. That's part of the covenant, which is one of the main themes of the whole book of Genesis. The covenant was God's solemn promise to Abraham that God would greatly multiply and bless Abraham's descendants. That he would bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. And that in his offspring, all nations of the world would be blessed. But if Jacob's family had died out in the famine, that would have been the end of the covenant. God was using Joseph to sovereignly protect his covenant. Not only that, but God was faithful to his covenant by blessing Jacob and his family, by protecting them and providing for them. God also blessed Egypt and the world through the children of Israel by providing food for Egypt, Canaan, and the Mediterranean world in the time of severe famine. Even though these chapters don't use the word covenant, that covenant idea is still there. Although the children of Israel will be sojourners in Egypt for a long time, God will not forget his covenant or promise to give the children of Israel the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession. <clears throat> verse four says, I will, in verse four, God says, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. So, what practical lessons do we learn from this passage? Well, first, for Christians, I think this should affect our politics. The land of Canaan, later known as Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, belongs to the Jews. God gave it to them as a permanent possession. Any threats to punish or to push them into the sea should be vigorously opposed and Israel should be defended. Generally speaking, we should support politicians who support Israel and oppose politicians who oppose Israel. This doesn't mean Israel right or wrong, of course. Moses, the prophets, Paul, and even Jesus himself criticized their fellow Jews at times but it does mean that we should strongly oppose all forms of anti-Semitism. Second, as we have seen many times before, we serve a God who can use human sin and deplorable circumstances and turn it around for good. This is one of the main points in the passage. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, it is emphasized four times in this passage. Chapter 45, verse 5 Joseph tells his brothers that it was to save lives, that God sent me ahead of you. In verse 7, Joseph says again, God sent me ahead of you. In verse 8, Joseph says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. In verse 9, Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. This does not excuse the brother's sin, of course, but it shows that Joseph was able to look beyond the horrific circumstances of his life and see God's hand in work at work in all of it. When we face horrible circumstances, we, like Joseph, need to look beyond our circumstances to the fact that we serve a God who, as Paul says, works all things together for good to those who love him. That's true even when we can't imagine how that could possibly be. When Joseph was rotting in a dungeon in Egypt for 20 years, I'm sure he couldn't possibly see how God could bring anything good out of that. But he was able to look beyond his circumstances to see God's hand in it. I know that's much easier said than done, but we serve a loving God. And sometimes all we can do is trust him like Joseph did. Third, the passage today is an absolutely amazing story of forgiveness and grace. Just imagine being a slave for 20 years because your brothers sold you. Just imagine being in prison for 20 years because someone falsely accused you. 20 years of your life down the tubes. How do you forgive something like that? Even more amazing is Joseph's forgiveness is not just in words, but also in actions. In chapter 45, verse 22, Joseph repaid his brother's evil with good by giving them provisions for their trip New clothes for each of them, bringing them down to Egypt to take care of them. Joseph's amazing forgiveness and grace toward his brothers was possible because of his understanding of God's ability to take evil and turn it into good. For those of us who live this side of the cross, our ability to forgive should also come as a result of our reflection on just how much Christ has forgiven us. Forgiveness can be a very difficult thing. Of course, often it's a process that takes time and a lot of prayer. But Jesus teaches that those who flatly refuse to forgive show evidence that they're not really saved at all, because they don't understand the depth of their own sin, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive. I recently posted a quote from Corey Ten Boom on our Facebook page. As most of you know, Corey Ten Boom was a prisoner in Nazi in a Nazi concentration camps during World War II. Years later, she actually met one of the guards in that concentration camp and forgave him. In the quote, Corey Ten Boom says, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find that that prisoner was me. Let's pray. Lord, as we go through the terrible trials of life, help us remember that we serve a loving God who can make evil turn out for good. Lord, help us forgive others as you have forgiven us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.